0: The optimal life. So we're about a week away from the election, a historic election, and uh, there are several main talking points that we'll get to. Spending and inflation, uh, abortion, America's decline, you know, preserving democracy. Those are some of the big issues. But I wanted to start with you, um, your last debate with Tim Ryan. I thought there was a pivotal moment in that debate near the end where he kind of accused you of being racist in, in some passive way. And I thought it was a huge moment for you in the the way you responded, because if Tim Ryan wants to call you out for this or call you out for that, things that are actually true, um, you'll take that. But when somebody says to you, hey, there's some racism on your side, what did you make of that tactic, and how did you respond?
1: Well, I just think it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, first of all, Tim Ryan is trying to run this campaign. It's, It's false, by the way. It's not true to his actual record. But where he tries to appeal to voters from across the political aisle and make an argument that he just wants to represent Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Well, you can't do that while simultaneously saying that those of us who believe in a secure southern border are actually racist. It's especially preposterous given that my, you know, my non white wife was sitting there uh, looking up at us from the front row of the debate audience and I, I just you know I, I thought it was a shameful tactic I know exactly why he did it I know that it didn't work uh, but I called it out as such and I think that you know sometimes you know the moment calls for diplomacy uh, sometimes the the moment calls for you to actually call out a shameless tactic for exactly what it was and that's what I did
0: yes. Uh, to me, that's where he, he loses the credibility. You could say all the other things, but when you, lose, when you say something like that, then you have to, in my opinion, you have to question everything, uh, everything that he says. So another thing, when I say question everything, you, I've seen the ads being run um, this, this season, and a lot of the ads are saying that this man has voted 100% of the time with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. Is that correct?
1: It is actually correct. I mean, it's it's crazy for a guy who pretends to be independent from his own party. You don't expect an independent Democrat to vote with his own party, I don't know, 50% of the time or 70% of the time, maybe even 80 or 90% of the time, uh, but not 100% of the time. And that's actually, he's, he's not taken a single vote the last two Congresses that defied Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi and that suggests to me that he's not interested in being an independent voice for the people of Ohio he's interested in doing the bidding of his party mm-hmm. and and that's been the basic trajectory of his of his campaign and of his record is that he's he's really just a kind of you know back venture guy who does whatever the party leadership tells him and you know it's it's interesting the, the campaigns that, that that we've run are very different you know his his campaign has been high on character assassination, on calling people racist, on, you know, uh, lying about my business record or, you know, organizations that I've been involved in. Whereas my, my argument is very simple. Tim Ryan has been in office for 20 years. He's gotten an opportunity to govern and the results have been catastrophic. So let's go in a different direction. That's really all we're trying to do is point out his record and how it's failed the state of Ohio. I don't feel like I need to lie about the guy because I think the record speaks
0: for itself. Well, Our country, since Biden took office, has been in a major decline. So I just don't understand, regardless of what party side you're on, how can anyone justify wanting to go with a guy who votes 100% of the time with a losing policy, with a losing team? It's mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, it is. And I I suspect that most people in Ohio don't want to go in that direction. That's one of the reasons why I feel very good about about our campaign and about where we are on this thing. Um, you know, there, of course, are always going to be some very partisan Democrats who are going to go with with whatever the Democrats put on offer. I think, by and large, people are pretty exhausted, right? They don't like mm-hmm. the inflation. They don't like the crime. They don't like the southern border being wide open. They don't like the drugs that come into the country because of that. They certainly don't like our education system, uh, which is, you know, long on indoctrinating people and very short, actually, on actually preparing students for the skills that they need to succeed in the modern world. And uh, because of that, I feel very good. I think we're going to win this this election. And then really the question to me is whether Republicans, who I suspect, you know, we're going to win majorities in both the House and the Senate, we need to act like it. We need to actually govern and go in there with some energy and not just sort of warm the seats until the next election.
0: What's your take on Musk uh, purchasing Twitter? Is that a step in the right direction for big tech?
1: You know, I think so. I'm not—it could mean a lot of different things, right? Some of them good— um, want we'll to see what he actually does with the platform. The thing that I'm actually most excited about is, look, we know Twitter's been involved in some pretty aggressive censorship over the last five to ten years. Um, I, I think it'd be really, really helpful if Elon Musk released a lot of information about what Twitter's been doing, about the way it shadowbans and uses you know, sort of algorithms to suppress content that it doesn't like. I, I think that we could just basically learn a lot about the way in which big tech – I think is really a nefarious actor in our political system. And I hope that's the direction that he takes. And uh, I actually share his his basic view that you know in a functioning democracy you need you need a, a platform, and whether it's newspapers two hundred years ago or social media today, you need some capacity for people to participate in the public debate. Right now, all of the big social media platforms are are very partisan, and it would be great to have something that just tried to be neutral. I'm uh, not always going to succeed. I think that's where Elon's going to take the platform I certainly hope so.
0: Yes. Well, piggybacking off of that, uh, let's go to a couple more of your major issues, major topics at your campaign. I'm just on your website jdvance.com. First first par- issue that comes up, American decline was a choice. And we talk you talk about that there. Those chose they chose censorship over the 1st amendment. They chose to flood our countries with criminals and drugs. They you know, they've taken Anita need of radicals. They've sent our industrial base to China, et cetera. Why are we doing all this? What has happened to our country? Why are we Why are we headed towards what feels like a socialist state?
1: Well, I think part of it is that you know behind. Behind every really bad idea, there's probably somebody getting rich off of it. And I I, I know that, you know, while uh, the policies the last couple of years have not been good for most people, they have been good for some people. If you're a Democratic political consultant or if you're one of these guys who helps so-called green energy companies profit off of subsidies from the government, uh, then you've been doing pretty well. And and so I, I actually think that a lot of what drives... The choices that we've made as a country is that a lot of our leaderships, you know, and, and this is true in the government. It's even true in some of our biggest companies uh, have put politics and have put personal interest over the good of the country. Mm. And um, unfortunately, that that means that you have you know a lot of problems. But the good news is, I, I do think America is fundamentally self-correcting, and I think that there's a lot about what's going on in the country that makes me unhappy. But we're also finally talking about some of the real issues in the country. We're talking about the rise of china. we're talking about digital media censorship. We're talking about uh the ways in which our public schools are maybe not as successful as they were twenty thirty years ago. So you know the first step of solving any problem is recognizing it. and I think we're finally now recognizing some of the big problems
0: yes i I totally agree uh, n- next topic spending and inflation again, this one is hitting every American. It doesn't matter if you're red, blue, purple, pink, whatever. Uh, everybody's feeling it, you go to the gas pump, everyone feels it, uh, prices are skyrocketing, supply chain is terrible, et cetera, et cetera. So we're spending money in all these different places that you question on your website, China and, and other areas. What about all the money too, JD, that is going to Ukraine? What, what's your take on all that?
1: You know, I, I worry that we're getting to a point where Ukraine is becoming a client state of America. Um, you know, we're sending $80 billion to Ukraine. We have to remember a couple of years ago when Donald Trump requested, I think it was $4 billion uh, for the United States Southern border wall. Congress refused to grant it to him. So, look, I mean, we have to separate our admiration for the Ukrainian people and their conduct in the war from what's ultimately in the best interest of our country. And I think we can simultaneously we, we can hold two thoughts in our head at the same time. We can say, look, what they're doing is brave. We're certainly rooting for them as they resist a criminal invasion. At the same time, what's in the best interest of our country? I don't think that it's continuing to fund the Ukrainian war effort indefinitely. I think peace is much more our interest in that region. I think that not sending $10 billion a month is in our interest. And ultimately, I think a de-escalation of the conflict is where we should be pushing it, not funding the war indefinitely. Because eventually, you know, whether it's a worldwide food crisis, a worldwide energy crisis, um, you know, just a lot of additional violence or, God forbid, a nuclear war, this this eventually goes to a place the United States really doesn't want it to go to. And I don't know why we're spending so much money to accomplish something that's not in our national interest.
0: Right. Well, and, and again, how uh, when, we, when we cut off our uh, oil production and we become more dependent on other countries throughout the world, how did anyone think that that was going to lead to, to good goodness in this country?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. And, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of crazy. With the one hand, we're funding, I mean, you know, we're mostly funding a war in the Ukraine um, against Vladimir Putin. And with the other hand, we're pursuing energy policies that make Vladimir Putin much richer and much more powerful. It just doesn't make hmm. an ounce of sense. And, of course, the Europeans are far worse on this even than we are. Uh, they basically turn themselves into a dependent a dependent set of nations on Russian energy. So, you look at so much of what's happened in Europe from a national security and economic perspective, so much of Putin's power derives from the fact that the Europeans have made very stupid energy policy decisions for the past few years. And it's really, really going to cause their country's problems. And if we follow their path, we're, it's going to cause us problems too.
0: A lot of Europeans and people from all over the world have been flooding our country, uh, people that are illegally here, whether it's the southern border or f- through other areas. And that, of course, is one of your big topics as well, is is solving the southern border crisis. Uh, people coming in from, from all over. And I thought this was interesting when I was looking at your website, because you not only say that we need to you know, put in the metrics and the... the uh... securities in place to keep our country safe to keep it from illegal immigrants but you take it one step further and you're talking about these people should be proving that they are bringing some type of value to the united yep. states of america talk a little bit about your your stance on that
1: yeah you know we just really have to get illegal immigration under control um, it's not rocket science it's just a question of straightforward security and whether a country has the will to survive and to defend itself I and mean, then there is a separate question of, you know, when we do let somebody into the country legally, what, what is it that we're really looking for? Um, I've, I've actually been a big fan for a long time of Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, and one of the things that he's proposed in his immigration plan uh, is, is that we would transition America's immigration system to a merit-based system. So, you know, right now, we're talking about legal immigration, people who come legally. Whether you get an opportunity to come to the country is actually primarily – uh, based on who you know, it's based on family relationships, and I think there's a good reason to to say that we should base that decision on merit and what you bring to the to the United States of America. Uh, Tom Cotton has a bill called the, the Raise Act that would do just that. I think it would be very good for our country, and really is 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 basically the immigration system that most advanced economies have already. So in some ways. We're just taking what works in other places and, I think, applying it to our country.
0: I've got a couple more for you because I know we're limited on time. Um, sure. Protecting Second Amendment rights. Uh, I'm a gun owner. I think it's critical that people should have the right to bear arms. What's your take? Why are we Why are we under attack? Why does the left not like that freedom, that, that right?
1: Well, here's the, here's the crazy thing, too, right? In the last couple of years, we've seen a rise in violent crime across pretty much every city in the country. And at the same time, the left is saying, well, we need to control guns. It, it's not, of course, law-abiding gun owners who are causing a lot of these crimes. And, and when you have a country where the police are under assault, they really feel like they're not able to do their job, like the leadership of the country is going to attack them. You, you can't simultaneously say, well, we're not going to let the police keep you safe. We're also not going to let you keep yourself safe either because we're going to assault your Second Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. And I I think, unfortunately, both of those things are happening right now. Um, You know, to to me, it's it's a very straightforward constitutional question. Uh, The Bill of Rights gives people uh, the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, I think that, like every other right that we have, whether it's a First Amendment right uh, or, or walking around liberty, you don't take those rights away unless you give people due process. And so uh, I think the Second Amendment should be no different. And so, yeah, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I, I own guns myself. And I think it's an important part of the constitutional system in our country.
0: Election integrity. Uh, I had Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, on the podcast recently. Um, we seem to be doing a great job in Ohio with uh, elections, but integrity, but not every state does. What was your take on the uh, the 2020 election, and what would you do to ensure election integrity across the country?
1: Yeah, you know, look, the media plays this game where they they call you an election denier if you raise any questions about what happened in twenty twenty. I'm not going to be silenced on it. I think that Donald Trump would be president right now if our elections were more uh, were more careful. If we had a universal voter ID, and importantly, if you don't have the big tech companies coming in and effectively censoring information, that's that's good for Democrats. Um, and promoting information that's bad for Republicans. So I, I think that we we have to make clear that to have a real constitutional republic, you have to have safe and secure elections. Uh, I don't, this is, Again, this is not a rocket science question either. This is not really difficult. There are some things that we could do. We could promote voter ID. We can make sure that technology companies don't play in a partisan way in censoring information. Um, And you could just, you know, have reasonable absentee voting, people who request a ballot, military veterans and so forth, and not have every single citizen do mass mail-in balloting. You do those three things, I think you do 99% of what you need to do to make sure our elections are safe and secure.
0: My last one for you, as I mentioned at the beginning, one of the biggest topics, of course, is abortion and uh, Roe v. Wade making headlines this year. I assume that the Roe v. Wade decision was a step in the right direction to you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. I'm a pro-life guy. I think that we need to make sure that uh, babies are welcomed into the world with full legal protections. And it's kind of crazy to me that the left here, um, at least the, the elite levels of the Democratic Party, are proposing legislation that would allow abortion up to the moment of birth that would prevent doctors from providing medical care to babies who survive botched abortions, just really crazy stuff that I think highlights how far the left is willing to go in this country. And I gotta say, you know, I think the majority of Ohioans, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, they don't want the state to be a place, they don't want their country to be a place where babies can be more murdered up into the moment of birth. So I, I think the, the Democrats, as much as they accuse Republicans of being extremists on this politically, they're really the extremists on this issue, and we should really go on the offense.
0: Uh we've got a week until the election. November 8th is coming. You could either vote on election day, folks, or obviously beforehand. Uh my last last one will finish it off. Somebody sees you in an elevator this week, JD. Hey, I've been seeing a lot of commercials, I've seen you. Uh, I, I've seen the attacks on you. I've seen the attacks on Tim Ryan. I've seen Tim Ryan throwing the football at Bernie Kosar. Uh, give us your elevator pitch on why J.D. Vance is the right man for the job.
1: It's very simple. Has your life gotten better the last two years, or hasn't it? Has the country gone in the right direction or has it gone in the wrong direction? And I think that if you want to take the state, if you want to take the country in a different direction, uh, I'm your guy. Uh, Tim Ryan is the rubber, the rubber stamp for Joe Biden. He's the candidate of the status quo, and he's the candidate of policies that have failed the state of Ohio. I'm, I'm promising to take us in a different direction, and I'd uh, love to have your support.
0: J.D., thank you so much again, man. Wishing you all the best.
1: Thank you, man. Take care.